AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hey Matt, I heard uh, you have another interesting story about uh, Cisco Smart Install Protocol. Yep, so this one is probably destined to be a long-running problem. So there's something called Cisco Smart Install, and mm -hmm. really it's supposed to make an admin's job easier. Yes. Um, it's sort of like a zero-touch configuration set up for routers and switches for, for Cisco devices. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, it appears to be enabled and facing the internet on a lot of these devices, and this is a service that requires no authentication by design. Recently there were some major attacks against these devices by some politically motivated actors and it turns out that they use this this service to disable devices after vandalizing them slightly. Long and short of it is this is something that should really be disabled. Um, I don't think Cisco plans to patch this as, they, as they've stated that this is a feature, not a bug. Not a bug, okay. um, But it really shouldn't be internet facing. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard that if you issue the command no vstack in your Cisco console, this will turn off that feature. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see if you've got it running by running show vstack config. I did read that on some devices, disabling it only lasts until the next time that the device reboots. Okay. Which means you kind of have to run it over and over to make sure the thing is fixed. Yeah, I think um, it also uses the port 4786 TCP, right? I believe that's the port, yeah. Limiting access to that port may minimize the risk a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely, so if you, if you know that you've got a specific administration network, like mm -hmm. if you can physically separate and only run admin, like you're, you're that on like a one network, a separated network, do that. My recommendation is obviously if you can turn this off on the device, you should do so. If you can't turn this off for whatever reason, and I can't really think of a great reason why that would be, you should limit the access to IP addresses that you know and trust so that only your admins that you trust can make these sorts of changes to devices. Cisco's Talus intelligence guys, their recommendation is turn it off. At a minimum, you know, port 4786 should only be exposed to the management network, it should never be exposed to the internet. This bug didn't just come out, I think it's been out for about a month. Yeah, uh, if I you need another more urgent reason to convince people to disable this on internet-facing networks, mm -hmm. or even non-administrative networks, like I'm, honestly, if, if you've got this running, admins should be the only ones using it, and if you can do that isolation within your own network, yeah. that's another step towards defense in depth, and I think it's worth considering. Yeah, it, it really needs to be at a minimum, firewalled off and better disabled. I mean, it should be only available to the sysadmin group, and that should not be open to the entire group. And moreover, uh, there should be restrictions to how to access it. There are researchers, I think it was the, either the Talos or the Kaspersky researchers looked on Shodan, which is what you do when you have an internet-facing bug, yeah. and they found around 168,000 vulnerable Cisco devices. I think in the same article, like initially when it came last year or something, I think on November 2017, around that time frame, uh, when they were looking for this uh, Cisco Smart install protocol, they were about 220,000. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of drop. I mean, uh, that could be attributed to how the scanning has been done. Could be. But still, you know, there are lots of uh, vulnerable devices out there. Mm -hmm. So the threat is there. 
So if you are not a admin of these devices, but you're in IT or security, you should be aware of whether or not you have these devices on your network and what the impact might be. And if you are the sort of person who can put more resources or funding towards fixing this problem, I highly recommend that you do. So Jim, I hear there's an interesting news story relating to the Mac APFS file system. You want to tell us a little bit about it? APFS it was a new file system for the Macs that was introduced with the release of uh, High Sierra. And uh, my friend Sarah Edwards posted a couple of blogs in the last couple of weeks where she noticed that when creating new encrypted APFS volumes, that if you specified the passphrase on the command line when creating it, that got logged in log files. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, anybody who is installing APFS and encryption typically have elevated privileges like a sysadmin or maybe local admin. Whoever gets the access to this password, basically they got access to the whole system. She first noticed it in the the unified logs, but that actually got fixed shortly after she posted about it in 10.13.2. The current version as of we're, the day we record this is 10.13.4. So they've done a couple of you know quick bug release fixes here in the last couple of weeks. She also discovered that these passwords also got logged in the install log. For a forensic investigator, it's really nice to be able to find these passwords. <laughs> From a security point of view, it's just, why would they do that? <laughs> uh, it seems that one of these uh, logging mistakes has been fixed, but the other one has not yet. The upshot of this is that anybody with access to that log file has access to the encryption password for that, that file system, which is really not a good thing to have. And my, my understanding was that if you have a previously unencrypted APFS volume that you then turn on encryption, that it will also still log that in the logs. Huh. Yeah, I, at this point I don't know what to do about it, but it's something to be aware of and to scrub your logs if you're concerned about that. I mean, I, I guess I hope that some, some enterprising hacker out there comes up with a quick script that goes in, examines the logs, and then deletes or, or overwrites that portion of the, the log file. But that also seems pretty, <laughs> pretty ripe for abuse as well. Um, someone goes and grabs some code yeah. off of GitHub, they don't yeah. know what it is, and yeah, sure, run this, it'll take all the passwords out. doesn't say it's you know, emailing it to the guy as well, but like, oh yeah, it's going to take your passwords out. Oh, and and the other thing is we don't really want people to be going back in and manually modifying log files as a matter of course anyway. People messing with their own log files is probably beyond most people's technical abilities from a, like a purely desktop user standpoint as well. It's possible that someone could come up with a tool to automatically do this, but again, maybe not the best idea to be running people's code if you're not really sure what it's doing. It's not a good situation and I don't know what to do about it yet. Uh, I'm sure that Apple will deal with it. Uh, I just don't know how soon, and you know maybe we'll have to do an update on this story when once Apple figures out what what to do about it. That's fair. What do you think, Anish? Yeah, I think only one caution any sysadmin needs to take is if they're uh, doing manual edit, make sure you know they're only taking on that specific field. 
because inadvertently, you know, if they are deleting the the field next to it, it can cause some havoc, right? Right. All right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we don't have a great resolution, but at least we have as much of the picture as we're going to get for now. All right. Thanks, Jim. Hopefully, Apple may come up with some sort of patch to address this vulnerability. Until then, there's only one way to you know, basically go and remo remove the password from the logs. So, Ganesh, I understand you have some more info on the MicroTik vulnerabilities that were being exploited the last couple of weeks? Yes, Jim. Um, I have uh, some important details, you know, some graphics related to port 8291TCP which is basically one of the ports used by MicroTik routers. A MicroTik is basically, it's a Linux kind of flavor kernel, You're typically used in um, broadband devices. And there, I think, seems to be most prevalent in most of the world globally based on looking at the scanners. So a couple weeks ago, we had a big spike in a particular port related to MicroTik routers. In this case, it was the port used by the Winbox service, and people were using this port as sort of a fingerprint for finding MicroTik devices. Prior to the big jump in the scan sources, a week prior to that one, there's a release of the public exploit code to the public internet. As soon as the, this public code has been released to the public internet, there's a sudden increase in scanning, which is kind of initial recon activity to figure out which devices are open or maybe responding to MicroTik device on uh, 8291 TCP. So you're saying that the, the scanning started and then later on they started building and as more bots were brought into the botnet, they in turn Actually kept scanning scan. for it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's, that's one exploit code actually. If you go back and you're looking for additional exploit for this um, microtic, there seems to be additional two or three exploit codes. They're basically remote code execution. Uh, kind of, you know, exploit the code and you can ex ex execute any arbitrary code. And also, they can be used for any DDoS activities. Right. Uh, I think uh, I'll show from your based on telemetry graphs, you know, how actually the, the activity started and what we have seen it. Uh, I think this, this is basically, this graph basically explains, you know, number of scan sources we are showing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in the week of uh, 324. As you can see, the x-axis is almost flat line yep. prior to this time, and it suddenly jumped huge spike in there. Uh, in this case, on the y-axis is a number of scan sources. In this case, basically 140,000. The red dots here, basically, it's one of the alerts we see from our telemetry data. Around this time, 316, there's one, one or two reports at that time, alerts at that time. Mm -hmm. That's actually the recon time. Okay. That's when the exploit could, exploit could related to that. So still a few, very few sources one maybe doesn't show up here because we're looking at the yeah b because the scale is so huge. But if you were to look at a list of the flows, you would probably see a. Yeah, I'll right. actually I'll show them. All right, good. Okay. <laughs> it's it's another data showing instead of the scan sources increase in the volume of the traffic off the baseline. I see why. So you will have an alarm there, and I can see it. There is a tiny blip there. Yeah, and if you zoom a little bit closer to the this activity by discounting the huge increase during that weekend, mm -hmm. we can see there's a couple of alerts at this point. All right. So in this graph, basically, I removed the when the spike actually happened. And as you can see, 316, like a transition time of late 315 and 316, because our graphs are in UTC time. Okay. Uh, you see basically increase in the spike, and there is some uh, alert in that case. 
actually during the time frame only the exploit code was released to the public internet i guess as soon as this code has been released to the internet people started scanning sure uh, looking for you know that's how the things work I think at this time they kind of built a vulnerable list or whatever the things they need to scan. They waited for some time. On the weekend they unleashed the power to basically, you know, recruit all those things to further additional scanning. Got it. Or maybe do some other, you know, malicious activity. I would like to close out <laughs> with. <laughs> That's a hack of a graph. It's our geographical IP distribution of the scan sources. It's a, it's a very busy, very busy graphic as you can see, you know. Yeah, it's where humans are in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems to be everywhere around the world. It's it's not particularly concentrated to one specific region. And based on you know short inquiries, a couple of top schools services in our list actually they seems to be having microtech devices. All right, that's some good analysis. But you're going to be excited to see our internet weather, I bet. Yeah, I'm sure. As I understand it, the around the first of April they switched from scanning for 8291 to scanning for port 2000. You gotta steal all my thunder, Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's uh, We have noticed it, uh, but probably we'll bring up for another time. That's that's what I was gonna talk about. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, thanks, Ganesh. Thank you. Uh, in this case, basically, the vendor Microtech provided a patch long, long time ago, I think at least six months ago. Whoever actually applied the patches to the Microtech devices will not be vulnerable. So know your environment, know what services you're exposing on anything that you expose to the internet. And if you're not using the services on an internal router that's running this Microtech software, it's probably a good idea to minimize those services as well. So Ganesh, let's take a look at the internet weather for this week. Uh, the top 10 most probe ports, the top two haven't changed any. It's 23 TCP and 22. It's, uh, Telnet and SSH. 1433 is up one. Uh, 445 is down one, which is actually kind of strange, and I'll show you why in a second. Uh, 3389, remote desktop protocol is up one. 81 TCP is up a whopping 12 spaces this time. 80 TCP is still in seventh place. 2000 TCP, which we think we've talked about, uh, is up five spots. 443 is up six. 1911 is in 10th place. Uh, most sources of probing is also kind of interesting. I wasn't on the show last week, and some of this is uh, was a surprise to find that 445 is at the top this week. Okay. 2000 is in second place. Uh, 2000 TCP, which we know is the, related to the, the Microtech routers as well. Yeah. Um, 23 TCP is in third. Uh, we have 80 ICMP, which is echo requests. 5555, I believe, is the Android ADB debug bridge on the internet. 80 TCP is uh, up two. ICMP 00 is echo reply. 81 TCP we're going to talk about again. 22 TCP is up one, and 6881 is down by three. So, port 2000 TCP. Uh, looks like it came out of mostly nowhere. There are a few spikes in the last month. Uh, the peak that we see here is around 120k uh, scan sources per hour. So I tend to think that this uh, this is a scan flow. So I think this this spike is some consistent scanning by a, a core number of, of scanners, and then over time we're building a botnet here. That's what I think. Now, if we take a look and we compare it to 8291, which we've talked about as well, 8291's here in red, yeah. and uh, 2000's in blue, and you can see the population suddenly, you know, it's solid 8291, it's, and then it looks like it's completely replaced. 
1891 falls off the map. This is stacked, by the way. This is not yeah. relative. So eventually, it's almost indistinguishable. So what we think is happening here is that whoever's scanning for these microtick routers decided that 2000 was a better characteristic for finding them yeah. and retasked their botnet just to scan for that. So it's a strong evidence and there might be a single botnet in play, which is basically switching their tactics from uh, port 8291 to 2000 TCP. So if I go to 23 TCP Telnet, and if I switch back and forth fairly quickly between these two, that drop-off around the second also lines up. This is interesting too. We never seen you know that the sudden drop in Telnet traffic. Yeah. Um, and Probably something uh, interesting to I keep an eye on. I feel like this is a botnet that's being carved up into different sections. Part A scanning for one port, part mm -hmm. B scanning for another one. And 445 TCP, SMB, the WannaCry stuff, continues to grow, and that's in first place. Yeah. An interesting theory that the port 445 making it into first place is not by its own uh, virtue of being more aggressive this week. I believe it's because a former, formerly large and concentrated botnet that was scanning for Telnet has split itself up into pieces and is now scanning uh, one portion on one port, one portion on another port. However, you were to combine all of those populations, I suspect that you would have a single scanning botnet that would count for the majority of scanning. So 5555 TCP is this Android ADB, mm -hmm. um, and this one has ticked up. It doesn't seem to be quite on the same cycles yeah. as the last one, so I'm not considering it part of that master botnet. So 4782, this Cisco Smart Install, which we talked about on the show. Okay. And I give a 365-day graph of this just to show what the interest in it was. And I'm actually going to zoom in on that graph a little bit later. But you can see for a long time, this number of scan sources was down maybe one, maybe mm -hmm. two for the longest period of time. With a couple of spikes, someone was interested in it. Because I read the Cisco Talos blog about it, and they said that they started doing their own scanning, mm -hmm. but not in any real consistent way, but they observed somebody else doing it. The regular scans that we're seeing here for usually about 150 sources. Uh, if I zoom in into the last 30 days, you can see this is probably that mystery scanner, and then somebody else. Yeah started looking, and that may actually be... Now, the, the article that we read about Cisco Smart Install suggested that the people who were looking for the vulnerability mm -hmm. were only looking in Shodan for it. Okay. I'm not so sure. We do have some significant scanning around the 30th, mm -hmm. and we do see the population kind of growing up as well. If you take a look, and I, I realize it's kind of hard to see at this zoom out, but we you do have... The, yeah, yeah, it's that yeah. baseline traffic. It's not that single botnet or whatever yeah. you want to call it, that single set of, of hosts scanning consistently on schedule. You also have that, that baseline that appears to be growing, maybe maxing out around 20 scan sources of other people scanning as well. So that's kind of interesting. And then the, uh, the, the uh, public announcement for the bug was on the 28th. So somebody... Probably started scanning as soon as managed they... to productionize that bug and, and put it into their scanner. Yeah, mm -hmm. and just to cover 81, 81, which we talked about before, uh, I did another 365 days because I remembered this bug. Okay, this is the go ahead web server for some uh, network attached cameras, mm -hmm. and almost a year ago, that's when this was released. That's the massive spike when people found that bug, wow. started scanning for that. That's it huge. dropped off significantly since then. And then man, there's been a noise floor of about 20, 30 uh, million scan flows per hour, but it seems to have grown significantly in the last month or so. Yeah. And I really don't know what's building that, that increased interest. If I were to continue on with my theory, this might be another slice of that same botnet, but yeah. I can't prove that. 
But there are also multiple botanists, as we know, you know. They're not specifically looking for one flavor. They're looking for uh, different flavors of devices, right? That's true. I think, uh, as you said, there, there could be some new, new exploit code. Maybe they change a little bit their you know, tactics. And uh, we are seeing, actually, bulk of the activity on this port again. And this, this 81, despite not being anywhere near the heights that it was a year ago, yeah. still managed to fall in the top 10. Yeah. And that's it. Thank you, Matt. The views expressed on AT&T Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.